So now you know. Now you know. In life, in life, there are introverts and extroverts. Now, you may, you may have wrong definitions of this, okay? You may have been told that introverts are shy, withdrawing. You maybe have been told that extroverts are just gregarious and outgoing. That's not what they are. Introverts are people who are energized by being alone and who are drained by other people, by being around other people. An extrovert, however, is a person who is energized by being around other people, and, and hence the two names, right? Introverts unite separately in your own home. And then the party don't start till I walk in. Classic extrovert thinking right there. I know this is true because in this room today are introverts and extroverts. It's true because I see the looks on your faces when we start greeting time. Some of your faces say, yes, the best part of the service. This is awesome. You know, what would only make it better is if we just got rid of the sermon and we sat around tables and we could just talk about God. Introverts, on the other hand, your fate, well, it actually doesn't say anything because you slip out of the door to go to the bathroom, <laughs> only, <laughs> only to discover there are other introverts already in the bathroom. Curses, okay? Now, believe it or not, I am an introvert. I know. I am an introvert. It's why, in part, I take regular days to go to the lake or in the forest by myself, alone, isolated, in a cove, off the trail, so remote that if I were to die, it would take them days to find my body. <laughs> okay? Now, even though I am an introvert, relationships are vitally important to me. And whether or not you're an introvert, like me, or you're an extrovert, you are a social being. You are a social being, okay? You did not learn to walk by yourself. There were parents holding your hands going, okay, honey, you can do it, you can do it, come on, come on, big step. And then, then when you started walking, they clapped and they shot videos, especially if you were the firstborn. Now, if you were the fifth child in a family of five or the seventh child in a family of seven, your parents actively discouraged you from walking. <laughs> and yet you learned anyway, okay? You did not learn to talk by yourself. There was some goofy guy constantly going, daddy, daddy, say daddy, daddy. And then finally, when you did the da-da, mom was all frustrated, okay? <laughs> You did not learn to talk and walk by yourself. You didn't come out of the chute walking and talking. These are learned behaviors that you got from other people. You didn't even learn to think by yourself. Your capacity to form ideas and logic in your head was actually developed in and through other people. These are learned behaviors. Even the biologists who say there is no God, and there are biologists who say, yes, God's real, and there are biologists who say, no, God's no, there's no such thing as God. That's like unicorns and rainbows, okay? Even people in that camp will admit and concede that human beings are social mammals. You are a social being, okay? It's part of your nature. And we get it honestly because we're made in the image of God who exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Now, after the resurrection, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he gave them marching orders. And this is what he told them, Matthew 28, verses 18 and following. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. Why? Why was God named in this way? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the lips of Jesus himself. And why was it and has it been repeated for nearly 2,000 years every time a Christian is baptized? Well, it's because Jesus revealed something very important about God. We know that early Christians used this formula because it's found in the Didache of the Apostles. And concerning baptize, baptism, baptize this way, having first said all these things, baptize in, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in living water. This Didache of the Apostles at its oldest is from around 50 AD, at its youngest is around 100 AD. And so we know that Christians all the way back to the first century, every time they were baptizing, they were baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus revealed something very important about who God is that early Christians were trying to make sense of. Now, his first disciples, they were Jews, just like him. Remember Peter, James, John, even Judas Iscariot? They were Jews, and they, know, they knew as Jews the Shema, they were taught this as early kids. Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And yet they were hanging around Jesus when Jesus said this, the Father and I are one. Whoa, hey, back the truck up there, boss. Are you saying you're God? Like, what's going on here? And the Jews at one point tried to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be God, and yet he was human. And like, how does that work? What's going on here? This is, this is not cool. This is not right. So they're trying to make sense of it. Jesus also said this, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He'll tell you about the future, and he'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So early Christians were, were trying to figure this out, like what's going Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And so they, they articulated this in what we know as the doctrine of the Trinity, and basically what they were trying to explain is that there's one what shared by three who's. In this case, the one what is God. There's one God. There's not 15 gods on Mount Olympus. There's one God, but there's three who's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the Middle Ages, they came up with this thing. It's called the Trinity Shield. So the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, but the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And you can kind of visually see how that plays out. What they were saying is that all of the attributes and qualities of God, the Father has those. 
all of the qualities and attributes of God, omnipresence, the Holy Spirit has those. Jesus has those. They each have it, and yet they're distinct from each other. So here's the bottom line for today, and I'm going to get where this comes from the Trinity. Guys, I hate to tell you this, even if you're an introvert, you're not meant to be alone. You are not meant to be alone. It is in your nature to be in relationship. And we know this from the early stages of a baby. Okay? We see this in the opening pages of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 1, we're told the creation account. Okay, so, so God makes everything. We're told that God spoke the universe into existence and that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of the earth. And in Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we're told this. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Scary. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Now, the early Jews understood this plurality here. Let us make human beings in our image to be the royal we. So if President Obama and Mrs. Obama go to Buckingham Palace, the queen will say, we are pleased to have you with us today. Now when she says that, she's not referring to Prince Philip. He doesn't rate. She's using the royal we. In other words, what she means is I, she's just saying we. So for the longest time, this is how Jews interpreted this passage. But after Jesus came on the scene, Christians went back and they were like, whoa, we think there's something more going on here. And they saw that there's Trinitarian flavorings all throughout the Old Testament because you have God's spirit, you have the word, you have... And so they, those early Christians were like, boom, there's something important going on here because God makes human beings to exist in community because God himself is in community. Again, you and I are not meant to be alone. So God makes all this stuff. He makes the sky, the firmament, animals, stuff in the sea, the waters, they part, they're separated. And there are these sections where it says, it's good, it's good, it's good. What God made is good. What God made is good. Only in Genesis 2, it changes. The cadence changes. And what's said is different. In Genesis 2.18, we're told this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I've taught on this before, and because we speak English, we read this word and we think of the wrong thing. If you have a four-year-old and you're a man and you're his father and you go to the bank and you run errands with your four-year-old, everybody you encounter is going to say, oh, I see you have your helper today. It's kind of a, it's not a really vote of confidence in the kid's ability. They're just, they're just saying, oh, you got your hands full, <laughs> okay? But the, the Hebrew word is ezer. Uh, 
it's the same used word that's used of God when God delivers Israel from certain death and disaster. So in other words, Adam, by being alone, by being solitary, was missing out on something keenly important. He wasn't able to have oneness with anything else in creation. None of the other mammals, none of the other creatures that existed, he couldn't be together in oneness with another person. And God says it's not good. So God's supreme achievement wasn't just a solitary man, but it was community. Okay? And, and there's wordplay here in the Hebrew. It's ish and isha, man and woman. Woman isn't made, by the way, out of the dust like Adam. Woman's taken from where? I love the way my daughter puts it. My daughter, when she was asking me questions last week, my nine-year-old, she goes, so explain to me how did, so God made woman out of the guts of the man. That's her phrase, out of the guts, just took the guts. Well, yeah, <laughs> sure, yes, okay, yeah, out of his side, okay, because there's something significant going on here. And we see it in Adam's exclamation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. He says this, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is another me. He's like, this is another me. Okay? And he's jazzed and he's excited about it. And with Eve, we have the first human community a man and a woman. So in that case, one plus one equals not two, but one. And to this day, when a husband and a wife marry, that's what they're told, the two become one. In this early community, in the opening pages of Genesis, they're naked, there's no shame, there's perfect love. They, they are deferring to each other's best interests they're genuinely helping one another. That's good stuff going on. Now, we, there's no shame, there's no lies, there's no hurt, there's no brokenness. It's only community and love. Now, we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know Adam and Eve sin, and it breaks fellowship with God, and it breaks fellowship with each other. Community is broken, and paradise is lost. And in the picture comes sin, blame, shame, envy, and eventually murder. That doesn't sound very good at all. In John chapter 17, at the end of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus prays that this oneness that was experienced in the garden, this oneness that God has, will be restored. And it's from John chapter 17, uh, verses 20 and following. Okay? He says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who are, will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be, what, what's the word here? They will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and that they may be with us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. 
May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. And then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. He wants this oneness restored. See, God didn't create people to have a relationship because he was alone. That, that's, a, that's a misnomer, it's a myth. It's not accurate, it's not good theology. God, didn't, God wasn't around in his glory going, one is the loneliest number in all the world. I need people. He wasn't an extrovert dying, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mutually loving one another, mutually deferring to one another, interdependent in perfect love. He created people because he wanted to give people an opportunity to get in on that. You and I were not meant to be alone. We were not meant to live life alone. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert. God wants you to live in rich community, community that is grounded in the life of love. The life that we see in the Garden of Eden, the life we see in the early church where it says that they were of one accord, that they shared all things in common, and the stuff that we see in Revelation. So let me ask a question. Are you intentionally seeking and building community? Are you working on this? So here's where the rubber hits the road. <laughs> My daughter has a phrase for what introverts do. She calls it turtling. When she comes home from school, she will say to me, Dad, I need to turtle and immediately go into her room and the door shuts. Cause she's been with people for six and a half hours straight, God bless her. She needs to recharge. Life today in America is set up in such a way that you really don't have to interact with anybody ever. And that is a terrible shame. If you are an introvert, there is every tool now at your disposal to keep people at arm's length and avoid them. Please don't. Please do not turtle all the time. I know you need to recharge. I feel you. I'm an introvert. But you've got to step out of that shell and actually connect with others. All right? Now, for you extroverts, <laughs> why aren't you talkative? Okay, that's the classic extrovert is hurting here. Okay? You extroverts, let me tell you, Please slow down. Quit speed dating everyone. Just because you have 7,000 friends on Facebook doesn't mean you have friends. Do they know the real you? Not just the projected you, but the real you? This is going to take time and effort. This is going to take some one-on-ones, okay? But extroverts, slow down and let people actually get to know the real you. For those of you who are in ministry, I wanna remind you, if you're a youth leader, I know there's the lesson, the games, there's the stuff that's part of youth ministry. The relationship is just as important. 
as the task. The oneness that you have with other youth leaders, the oneness that you're trying to build as a, as a micro-community of youth is just as important to, as the task. If you're doing sound and technology, yes, are having all of this, does having all of this stuff really awesome, have it work really awesome? Yes, it is. But the relationships, the relationship is as important as the task. If you're a musician, hitting all the right notes, having all the right, I get it, yes, yes, the task is important. But again, the relationship is just as important. Last but not least, be intentional. We're gonna have groups here at Generations that you can join in September. Make the effort, join one. I promise you, it will be gloriously messy because there will be people in them and people are dysfunctional. I don't know if you've noticed this, <laughs> okay? You can join, what I'm saying here is be intentional. If you're in college, be intentional to form a tribe, seek out people, develop real genuine friendships. It's gonna take time and effort, but I promise it will be worth it. If you are a, a grown-up, I know you're busy. I know you gotta shuttle kids everywhere. But this whole drop them off and then sit and stare at the phone and not ever connect with anybody, that's not working for any of us. Be intentional to dial in people in relationships because again, you're not meant to be alone. You weren't created to live life all by yourself. If there is a uh, trinity of, uh, of, of brokenness, it's the trinity of me, myself, and I. That never, it goes to a great place the trinity of me, myself, and I, okay? You're better off in relationships. You're better off in relationships. My senior year of college, um, I lived with five other men. Uh, this picture was taken last month at a, a reunion we had that was 30 years after we met, okay? That tells you how old I am. In college, I was an OCD neat freak that valued cleanliness over people. Mm. In my house was a guy who thought he was God's gift to everyone, and I mean everyone. <laughs> his demeanor, his attitude, it said, hello, you are now glad that I am here. <laughs> Everywhere, suffocating. There was another one of the guys who was a hothead, and no matter what happened, it was World War III Crisisville. Ah! There was yelling, screaming, boom, slamming of doors, not coming back to the house until two days later, and we're like, where did he sleep? Where did he go? Like, okay, we were dysfunctional, broken, stupid, young men, and yet, God was at work in our lives despite our own stupidity and foolishness and brokenness and everything else. When we got together last month in Michigan, everyone helped. This never happened senior year of college. I mean, we, I had to get clean up your stuff. Every single one just stepped in, helped, volunteered. Oh, let me help you with that. Oh, let me... like. No one, there, the whole weekend, no one ever had to be asked to do anything. 
The other thing that shocked me about the weekend is that they kept deferring to one another. If, if there was somebody standing up, someone literally got up, oh, here, have my seat. All of them. Their spouses, too. It's the weirdest thing. And everyone had a role. Chris got the food organized. Um, Paul started amazing conversations. Everybody had a role to play. At the end of the second day, we were sitting in a circle, and we were talking about how we had changed in 30 years. And when we were done telling our story, Sean says this. He says, if this is, what's, if this is what heaven is like, I'm ready. Let's go now. This is why this is important, gang. God wants you to get in on the kingdom life that is wrapped in perfect love. When you hear people talk about perfect love, that's a glimpse. So I got a glimpse last month, and I'm telling you, when I think about the resurrected life now, I could do that forever. That will not get old, okay? All of the commands in the Bible, all of them, love God, love your neighbor, the Ten Commandments, all 614 commandments in the Old Testament, all of the virtues that we're told to clothe ourselves with, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are rooted in relationship. Show me peace if it's just you all by yourself. Demonstrate kindness if it's just you and nobody else. Show me what love looks like, looks like if it's just you. You can't do it. It takes other people to demonstrate and live and experience love and kindness. Yeah, the broken stuff too, but love and kindness. Okay, so imagine for a moment what it would be like if everyone in your life loved perfectly. It would be a game changer, wouldn't it? God wants you to get in on that. God wants you to get in on that. He wants you to experience what the Trinity, the Godhead himself, experiences, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.